CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there. We're live at the NASDAQ market site in a rainy Times Square. The guys here getting ready for a big show. While they're doing that, here's what's coming up. Big banks kick off earnings season next week. But after you hear what Dan has to say about one name, you might want to curb your enthusiasm. He'll break down the trade. Plus, Lyft Options just started trading. And after a wild week for investors, Mike Go has a way to buy the stock for less. And he'll show you how to do it. And the markets are back near record highs. But there's one group of stocks sitting out the rally that the chartmaster says are about to come back in a big way. He'll lay it out. It's time to risk less and make more. The action begins now. And we start off with the markets. The S&P 500 posting its seventh straight day of gains for the first time in more than a year. The Dow, S&P, and Nasdaq sitting around 2% uh, from their highs. But check out the Russell, barely out of correction territory, still down 9% from its record. The chart master says the small caps are about to break out in a big way. He's over at the plasma. Hey, Carter. But right, So it's really a catch-up trade uh, more than anything else. And we know that certain super cap large cap names are stalling at the former high, whereas this area of the market still has potential to um, make it back to the high. Two lines, you can see the difference, of course, in performance over the past year. Blue is SPY, orange being IWM. Let's pull it back and look at a different time frame. Here we have now the past two years. Again, what we're seeing is a double, right? I mean, that's the issue. Is small cap the better trade here? We think it's a much better trade. And then finally, going back as far as five years, again, it's about the spread. Uh, S&P has this circumstance that's at risk. The Russell doesn't have that. And so the catch-up trade is, I think, the uh, important one here. Now, look how bad the relative performance has been. Another way to, to, to show the picture. So. Here is the Russell. What we know is it's gone basically straight up with general equities off the December low. But look what's happened. It's made no progress relative. But what I'm thinking here is that you've got something of a bottom on the relative that's going to hold. And then the bet would be that we break out both relative and absolute from that setup. Let's look at the IWM itself. You can draw the lines any way you want, one way would be like this, head and shoulders. The implication would be that we have to get here and then, of course, do something like that. Let's draw the lines another way. This is key. If I were to zoom in here, we just today, just fractionally moved above that downtrend line. And so the thinking is that this is going to do this, but again, we're nowhere near the highs, and that's the opportunity. As the S&P stalls and churns at its high, I think this is the better trade. All right. So, Mike, what's your trade? You know, we'll probably observe the VIX closed well below 13 today. That's an indication that options on indices are relatively inexpensive here. They are inexpensive on the Russell as well. So I think we actually have an opportunity here to make a bullish bet 
and keep it pretty simple. I was simply looking out to the June 157 calls when I was looking at those earlier today. Those would cost $4.80. It's essentially the at the money call represents about 3% of the cost of the underlying to make a bullish bet. It doesn't take much for these things to be profitable. And of course, you're significantly limiting your risk if there is some other kind of a convergence. And that other kind of convergence might be that if we're getting a head fake here and the market's not going to go higher, we're basically testing the same highs basically in the S&P again and again and again. If the market rolls over, this will fall. And so mitigating your risk as well as making a cheap bullish bet seems to make a lot of sense. And that was here. the question I was going to ask you before we get to Dan Carter. And that is, is does this imply that you believe the S&P 500 will at least hold current levels? So as a technique, when a stock currency, anything has a sharp rally back to a former high, more often than not, you contend with the high before you exceed the high. That's why often you'll see in a chart well-defined tops, and then you see the breakout. Very rarely do you just streak right through, right? And so we have the semiconductor index, we have the S&P, if every S&P large cap tech, all right back to a high. More often than not, you don't actually exceed the high. You churn, you back and fill, or back away. Dan. I hate disagreeing with these guys. I, I mean, I really do because the charting was so good and Mike's trade is simple and everything. The and, arrows you know, were nice, I, I just right? you know, I, I look at this thing and I say to myself, I don't like it because I don't like the poor relative performance to the S&P. The S&P is just levitating. It grinds up 25, 30, 40 basis points a day and it feels like we are destined to get back to that prior high. For some reason, the IWM has problems in the high 150s. You know, I mean, if you look at it over the last few years, I see what you see and if I could construct a bullish fundamental view for the broad market, I'd say, yes, this thing is going back to 170 between now and you know the end of the spring or June or something like that. But so I, I think the charts look great. Uh, your trade is the way to play it. I just don't agree with it. Yeah, I mean, probably a portion of your concern comes from the constituents of the Russell itself as well, which you probably right. are not that bullish about, would right. be my guess. Yeah, and 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 that actually gets to the crux of the matter, which is that, you know, in general, most of us have effectively long positions in equities. Equities will, over time, rise. The economy grows over time. The real question that we have is, you know, are we sitting on the cusp right now of continuing to go higher or in a long bull market, are we seeing some downside And if you have that situation, then you have to also agree fine. that if the options are inexpensive. Yeah, so I mean, the VIX only if you think it's going to go sideways. Today, complacency is at just the high that we haven't felt since when? August, September, right before the, the S&P dropped 20% in a straight line over, you know, two and a half months. I just think that this is probably not, I mean, listen, I like the idea for playing for catch-ups this time. I just don't see the S&P getting a meaningful breakout here, and no, I don't know, this, I just don't know how the IWM catch up. Yeah. Yes, I agree the with that. The S&P being where all the crowding is, Correct. right? We know specifically in software and other super cap tech names, which this does not have uh, that circumstance. Yeah. All right. From small caps to the big banks, they kick off earnings season next week. J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, PNC, all reporting before the bell Friday. These stocks have been report underperforming the market all year, but the options market is implying some interesting moves. All three names expected to see a 3% rise or drop. So is this a make or break moment for the banks? Kind of interesting. You know, we know that the banks really get earnings season kicked off every quarter. Next week is really lean until we get to next Friday. You have those three. I, obviously, I think the biggest focus is going to be J.P. Morgan. But I, 
think Wells Fargo sticks out to me um, a little bit because it's been in the news of late. And obviously, we know that their CEO was basically forced to resign last week. Initially, the stock kind of bounced a few percent, and I think people were taking it positively. But then it kind of gave back um, those early gains, and it's lower than where it was after that announcement. The general counsel is the acting CEO. This board is going to have to go outside of this company to find a new CEO. And I think that creates some interesting near-term challenges for the company because I don't think you're going to get the sort of person to come in and take that job unless they kind of see some light at the end of the tunnel about some of the restrictions that the government has put on this bank. They see a light of the tunnel you know, with some of the penalties and such. And this stock trades very expensive to a couple of its peers, uh, Money Center Peers, Bank America and Citigroup. Um, I just don't get it. I think when they report next Friday, I think there's a chance that you have a disappointing result and you have some, at best, murky guidance that might be poor. I think the gov- uh, this new management has incentive to get um, expectations for 2019 lower. So to me, I got two charts here. I'll let Carter uh, speak to them. Um, hopefully he agrees with me, um, as I did with him before. But look at the four-year chart. Is that a textbook head and shoulder right there. 50 looks like to be it was the old uh, neckline, but now it's a little bit of resistance. And you don't like them, but No, I, I like it. It's all here. Those are his head and shoulders. But those are some pretty wonky shoulders and heads. Well, whatever, dude. I was doing it. Alright, well, listen. So now, but this is the one. This is the one. Okay, look at the 10-year chart. It just broke late last year, that 10-year uptrend that had been in place here. And it's a broken stock to me. So, you know, I think you want to look out at Catalyst. You want to find what you deem to be the potential for things to kind of reinforce that pattern. And I think it'll be earnings next week. I want to look to May expiration when Wells Fargo was trading at 48.80 towards the close today. You could buy the May 47 half 50 put spread paying 60 cents for that. Buying one of the May 47 half puts for 97 cents. Selling one of the May 45 puts uh, at 37 cents. It costs you 60 cents. It breaks even at 46.90. You can make a buck 90 between 46.90 and 45. That's your max gain. And you're risking 60 cents. So about you know, less than 2% of the stock price. You have this on for about uh, a month and a half or so, and you have that event. And I'm not particularly bullish about what any of the banks are going to say over the next week or so. So I like this setup here. I was surprised when you said that this is relatively overvalued compared to the uh, other on banks. A, on a price to book yeah. and the relative I mean, to Magic considering City, the, the still, problems this bank still faces. Yeah, yeah so yeah, that is one of the real dilemmas, I think, that we've seen in Wells Fargo. And I think one of the reasons we have seen it, you would expect under all of the clouds that they've been under that maybe the thing would have gotten a little bit cheaper over time. They really haven't. I mean, this is a, a name where we've seen revenues decline pretty steadily. And also financials generally are facing sort of these two, almost a barbell of headwinds of sorts. One is that as interest rates fall, that's not necessarily good. But what did we see when we did see rising rates? What we saw is a really steep decline in financing rates. So basically, if you're not originating loans when rates rise and you're not making money when rates fall, that's a pretty bad recipe to be in. So if the valuation is comparable to much better banks than they are, it's hard to see why you would want to be long this one. So I think this trade setup makes a lot of sense. And also, just speaking of Russell, I mean, basically, do you do the KRE here or do you do the BKX, which is is really the more interesting thing in the sense that small regional banks have been really where the trouble is, and yet they don't have the capital market risk that a lot of these big wells in particular, and refi risk or opportunity. In terms of the big ones, this is by far the worst. Obviously, you single it out for that reason. You could have picked J.P. Morgan or Citi, but this one is, there's something wrong beyond just the headlines. It trades very poorly. 
And I think actually, to your point, speaking about regionals, of the, of the big banks, it is the most regional. You know, unlike a JP Morgan, which actually has a lot of other businesses, this one has less of that, less of the investment banking, less of some of the more investment type businesses that ba- the big banks are typically in. So it's almost like a super regional of sorts. Would you be inclined to manage the trade in that right after earnings? Yeah, I, I in, think so. In case they announce a CEO, Listen, for instance? We, we do this all the time. The way we do earnings event trades, long premium into events, it's a really hard way to make money, right? So you've got to time this thing. You don't want to do it too early in the week. They're not reporting until Friday morning. But if you got that move um, Friday, you may consider taking some of that off um, right away. But the other reason why I chose May is that I also want to give myself some time. Maybe the stock opens up a couple percent, but then it fails. We saw that in Lennar last week. They had supposedly good earnings. The stock was up 5%. And by the end of the week, it was down 7%. So, so you don't want to do weeklies into events because it turns into a very binary situation. If you get the slightest bit wrong on that trade, then it's, it's lights out. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. It's like you died and went to options heaven. What more could you want? Here's what's coming up next. The cabs are here. Because Lyft Options just started trading. And after an underwhelming week for investors, Professor Coe has a way for you to get long for less. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Lyft making a U-turn after a volatile first week of trading. That stock up more than 3% today, closing just a few bucks higher than its IPO price of $72. If you want to buy the stock, Mike Coe has got a way to do it for next to nothing. He's over at the Plasma with a call to action. Mike. Yeah, so the first thing I would point out, and I think this is really important, if you are thinking about buying the stock, right now the options markets are saying you might want to be kind of careful about that. We are definitely seeing some warning signs in the options markets about what might be coming up for Lyft. So if you are inclined to do that, and that's going to be kind of up to you because I realize it's a transformative and disruptive company, one thing you want to try to do if you can is buy it for less than the prevailing stock price. And one of the reasons that we are seeing this sort of unusual activity, I believe, in the options market is because of the lockup, which we have coming in September. September 25th, I believe, is actually when the lockup is going to basically expire. Right now, the options market is implying the forward price for Lyft, which was about $75 when I was looking at this today, is actually closer to about 68 and a half down in October. So if you sort of say, all right, well, we're going to draw some reasonable bands of expectation around that, we're really looking at a range in here. And you know, if you look at this range, that's a little bit of upside. It's kind of a lot of downside. And that's one of the reasons why I wouldn't be inclined to simply reach out and buy the stock. But because the options market is making these kinds of signals for us, it actually gives us an opportunity to try to take advantage of that. When I was looking at this earlier today, the October 77 and a half calls were trading for about seven bucks. The 60 puts in October were also trading for about seven bucks. So if you sell those for seven, 
and buy those for seven. Net net, you're not laying out any premium. The stock was trading at $75. That means you get exposure basically if the stock rises just 3%. You get that upside. But if the stock should fall, which is what the options market is currently implying it will do, you actually aren't going to be put the stock until it gets down to around 60 bucks. That's a $15 decline or about a 20% decrease from where the stock is currently trading. So buyer beware if you're thinking about buying Lyft. But if you are going to, at least take advantage of what the options market is offering you here and have this opportunity where essentially you're not going to take any of the near-term downside risk at expiration, but you will get the upside exposure. One week is not a long trading history, Carter. No, it's not. <laughs> so no, it's what, not. what do you make of it? So what we know is that if you look at the history of IPOs, it is considered the most important thing to not break price. And the underwriters do everything in their power to not let that happen. And for the fact that on Monday of this week, it comes in and the whole thing goes pear-shaped with a gap. Um, and while we've climbed back, uh, I would go so far as to say that the highs on the opening print will stand for weeks and months. Hmm. Uh, and that the stock is basically, uh, uh, will be traded in the range from that opening print of 88.60 and that it won't see those highs anytime soon. We've seen circumstances in the past with IPOs where the options market also was implying that the price was going to drift lower. The reason for that is because there's more demand to short the stock than there is stock actually available to short and it becomes what's called hard to borrow. Because of that, you actually have to pay to borrow the shares if you want to short it. And we've actually had some coverage of that on the network already because of some of the products that might have been offered to people who are looking to short the stock. That is actually what creates this dynamic. When stocks become hard to borrow, the price of calls comes down and the prices of puts goes up. And that is essentially what allows you to take advantage of this in a way that most retail investors otherwise probably cannot. Yeah, it's a really unique setup, especially like Mike said, he's selling the 60 put and he's buying the 77 and a half call and for the same amount. And obviously the stock is much closer to the call price. I mean, this is much better way to get that sort of economic exposure than buying the stock right here. I will say that over the course of this week, the volume did de decrease pretty dramatically. The stock did yeah. find a level. I think it's also remember when this company started going around talking to investors. The initial range was, I think it was like 62 to 68. It's kind of where at the upper end, where it found some support. And I think the main event for this name, the way it's going to trade going forward is going to be Pinterest in a couple weeks and uh, Uber in a few weeks, you know, and, and all earnings. these other names that are coming. I think their earnings event are going to be important. We talked about it last night on the network or on uh, Fast Money. You know, in, in about 20 days or so, you're going to have underwriters initiate on the name and then they're going to have their first earnings report in mid-May. If those things two go well, I mean, I suspect the stock might have found a floor in your term. All right, coming up, Snap share soaring today, now up more than 100% this year, and that's great news for our resident millennial, Dan Nathan, will tell you why. Plus, hey, you, yeah, you out there. Got a question for the Options Action traders? Well, you're in luck. Shoot us a tweet to add Options Action, and you just may get your answer on air. We are live at the NASDAQ market site. More Options Action right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at a couple of our open trades. Now, just last month, Dan said Snap was about to fly. 
Obviously, it hit a little bit of resistance last week, almost to the dime at like 20 and a half here. It's trading down about nine and a half bucks. And I think you want to play a call calendar. And let me just tell you what the trade is really quickly. With a stock around 950, you can look at April expiration and you can sell one of the April 11 calls at 15 cents. And you look out to July expiration and you buy one of the July 11 calls paying 69 cents. That costs you 54 cents. That is your maximum risk. What a trade. Snap is up more than 20% since the time of the call. So, Dan, what do you do? You know, it, it was a good idea. It was a bad trade, actually, in hindsight. You know, trying to kind of thread that needle by selling the April 11 call. I thought with a stock down there at 950, I was giving myself enough time and enough room. But the stock went right there. So it's above that strike. At this point, I think there is more upside in Snap, especially out to July. Um, that is the, the call that this trade is long. So what I would do is sh- roll that short April 11 call and maybe just turn the July long 11 call into a vertical um, and maybe sell like the 14 strike. That seems to be the prior high from the fall. All right, let's move on here. Two weeks ago, Mike said home builders were a home run for investors. If you take a look at all of the stocks that are comprised in the XHB, which is the S&P Select Home Builders Index ETF, what you're going to see is that the valuation of that whole group is trading right now about 12 times forward earnings. That's a pretty cheap multiple. But the home builders themselves, which are a subset of that, are actually much, much cheaper. You could just look out at the June 38 calls. Those are essentially at the money. Those are about a buck and a half. And this is a trade where you can try to be nimble. The XHB is up 6% since then. So, Mike, what do you do? Yeah, the call's a double at this point. I actually tweeted out earlier today, so follow us on Twitter if you're not. To sell that call and roll up to the 41s, you'd actually take some of your profits off the table and still maintain some long exposure. And meanwhile, you have a bit of an offensive-defensive trade here. Rates go lower. It works. And I think you stick with it. All right. Final call is up next. Time to take your tweets. One fan asks, Dan, are you sticking with your retail trade? Yeah. Hey, Seattle, Vince. Here's the deal. The S&P was up 2% this week. In the last week, the XRT was only up 1.5%. Uh, it still underperforms. I think you stick with it. The trade that costs a dollar is worth 70 cents. I think you'll use a 50-cent premium stop on that. That's where you would cut that trade. All right. Time for the final call. Carter Braxtonworth. Uh, long IWM, and even better, long IWM, short SPY. Mike Coe. June 157 calls and IWM are cheap. That's the best way to play it on the long side. Mr. Dan Nathan. I really like what he did with that. He's got the short spy. He's got the long IWM. I like that trade, but I also like Wells Fargo put spreads in May into earnings next week. All right, that does it for us here on Options Action. See us back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a great weekend. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.